You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Left side, Susie Richard, tip, they score! Yeah, I thought we hold the fort pretty good. Like, there's some good structure there. Oh, do they have pick up? Glad he never looked over his never, left shoulder. Ne- never guy. heard him, felt him, saw him. Hey, what happened? Good morning, Vancouver. 601 on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintec Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason is here. He's just temporarily indisposed. I'll say good morning to him later. I turn it over to Behind the Glass. Good morning, basketball, Ben. Good morning. And good morning to you, laddie, as well. Hello, hello. Halford and Bruff in the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience a Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer. Today, we are in hour one of the program. Hour one is brought to you by everythingfinancial.com. Financial freedom awaits. Book your introductory meeting today. Visit them online at everythingfinancial.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics is Canada's favorite orthotics provider. They're supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech. We have a big show on the horizon here on a Thursday as we inch closer and closer to the weekend and another fantastic sports weekend on the horizon. But it is Thursday, Thursday show. Here's a get Dan Riccio at 630 in the morning. I just snagged that. We asked. He obliged. Dan. Play by play guy. Color guy. Color guy. Sorry. Color guy. Let's be accurate here. Okay. Batch is like, whoa, 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 whoa. What did I not reach is my analyst. Says Batch. Uh, Reach is going to join us at 6.30 in the morning, no less. He was on the call yesterday. Canucks in Abbotsford. A 2-1 loss to the Seattle Kraken. So we'll talk to the we'll talk about the game that a lot of people weren't able to see because it wasn't televised. It was only streamed. Uh, we'll get some feedback on Cole McWard, Carson Susie, what Rick Tockett had to say in the aftermath. Dan Richo is going to join us at 6.30 for that. 7 o'clock, Adnan Verk as we toe-tag another Toronto Blue Jays season. It is over for the Jays. You got to phrase it like that. Two games. Two games is all they got. I've become accustomed to. (laughs) Yeah, they have not won a single game postseason-wise in the Vladdy Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette era. So uh, Adnan Verk from MLB Network is going to join us at 7 o'clock to talk about all that. We'll also look at uh, the rest of the MLB picture. All sweeps. All sweeps. And now we don't have any baseball until Saturday. We got a lot of time off here. So Adnan Verk at 7 o'clock. Join us to talk about all that. 8 o'clock, it's the Drancer. Thomas Drance from the Athletic Vancouver was also out in Abbotsford last night for the Canucks game against the Kraken. We'll talk to him about that. What the roster will look like as we get closer and closer to the start of the regular season. <clears throat> One exhibition game left for the Canucks. It's going to be on Friday night at Rogers Arena against Calgary. Uh, Thursday night football. Whew, what a matchup. Commanders, Bears, coming to you live on Thursday Night Football. It's going to be on. You can watch it. That's all I'm going to say about that game. And a reminder, we are giving away another pair of Guns N' Roses tickets here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. It's an October 16th show. It's at BC Place. If you want to go, send in a What We Learned. Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. Hashtag it WWL. What did you learn over the last 24 hours in sports? 
add a rose emoji. That's a rose emoji. And you'll be entered into our grand prize draw for a pair of tickets to see Guns N' Roses on October 16th at BC Place. So, working in reverse, the show, 8 o'clock, it's the Drancer. 7 o'clock, Adnan Verk from MLB Network. 6.30, Dan Riccio for some Canucks talk. Uh, that is what's happening on the program today. Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? What Happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance. Making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.ca. Jason is back, everybody. Good morning, everyone. Some say he never left. Let's begin with the Vancouver Canucks last night. Again, a game a lot of people didn't see. Wasn't televised, only streamed out in Abbotsford. Ely Tolvanen. Scored a goal late in the third period for the Seattle Kraken to get a 2-1 win against the Vancouver Canucks in Abbotsford on Wednesday night. Uh, again, it's kind of difficult to talk about a game that's not a shared experience with the listeners, mm-hmm. right? We didn't even get to watch it. Well, I, I tried watching a bit of the stream, and um, then I was looked at the lineups, and I was like, what am I doing here? Why, why, why am I watching this when the Whitecaps were on? That's so true. I decided to watch the Whitecaps, and I was watching kind of the ends of the baseball games. Um, this is why we booked Riccio, right? So mm-hmm. Riccio was doing the color on the game, so we can talk to him about the game. Um, I don't know how much we need to actually talk about the game um, because it's not the roster that we thought it would be. It was not. The Canucks announced at around 10 in the morning, so just after we got off the air yesterday, that they'd called up a bunch of players. I'm like, mm, this is interesting. Mm. All these guys are going to play in Abbotsford, aren't they? Yep. Then right close to game time, they announced the roster for the game, minus the likes of Elias Pettersson, who we didn't think was going to play because he'd missed a couple practices and he was apparently under the weather, um, but also minus Quinn Hughes and JT Miller. That's the that's the that's the leadership group there. Connor Garland, Phil DiGiuseppe. Yeah, Phil DiGiuseppe. Phil DiGiuseppe is like I've done enough. Yeah, right. It's nice that he's reached that level of comfort in well, his career. He's earned it. And obviously, Mikheyev wasn't going to play. He's still not ready to go. Bluger um, wasn't in there either. So there wasn't a ton of star power for the Abbotsford crowd to enjoy, although I guess they did get to watch Kuzmenko and Besser and and Philip Horonic, who Eli was Tolvanen. Eli Tolvanen, yeah. yeah. Uh, for the Seattle Kraken. Um, I, I don't know um, if anyone would have been upset if they showed up. I saw a bunch of stuff on social media suggesting that, you know, the Canucks had promoted the likes of Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes there by, like, pictures. <laughs> but I, I don't know, man. Like, it's, it's, it's preseason, and I think when you buy tickets to the preseason, you have to allow that it could be a stripped-down roster. That's... Yeah. That's just, you know, the Canucks never made any promises about the lineups that they were going to have out there. But I'd be curious if you were there and you were disappointed, text into the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. I was expecting uh, a stronger lineup just because um, I don't know why I expected a a stronger lineup. Because, like, Rick Tockett had... But what he said was the final three games of the preseason, which were all at home, will pretty much have our lineup then. And then they made all those cuts. So I was like, okay, so the final three games of the preseason, they're going to go with their full lineups and no. So and I was like, okay, that makes sense because that we ever all we all know that the start 
is very important for them. So maybe their last three games of the preseason, they're they're just going to go, you know, guns blazing and try and get on a roll and and try and go into the regular season, um, you know, running as opposed to everyone else who'd be walking. Um, and it looked like it was going to be that until like an hour after our show yesterday when they called up a bunch of those guys. Mm-hmm. So I want to focus on two takeaways, not from the game that few people saw minus a bunch of regulars uh, in Abbotsford. I want to focus on what Rick Tockett had to say about big picture, things that he sees lacking from the group. Because this is the important thing, Jason, as we get on our negativity hats for the start of the regular season. We have to make sure to focus on the things that the Canucks aren't doing. Two of them. One, talking. Talk it wants more talking. Talking on the ice? Yeah. Or talking on the bench? Just talking Just in general? Talk in the in the room, on the bus, on the plane. Those last ones I might have made up. No, but seriously, is he talking about talking, talking about on- talking on the ice? Okay. Talking about the new guy. Carson Susie and Ian Cole, the new guys, plural. And how maybe they either got a little bit turned around or there was a sort of lack of recognition about what was going on. Because there's not that inherent familiarity. They're new to the team. There's not a lot of talking. I just like saying talk at talking. Less tick-talking, more talking on the ice, gentlemen. Good one, laddie. Good one. Let's hear from Rick Talkett now. Yeah, the first five, I felt we weren't uh, we weren't skating with a puck and we weren't talking. You know, that's the big thing when you know what's going on. You're, you're yelling. Time, reverse, right up. And sometimes we're a quiet team. We You got to... You got to verbal that stuff, and that helps people. So I think maybe a couple times he, he didn't hear anybody, but uh, yeah, yeah, we'll work on that stuff. Talking, talk. this has been something that he's been talking about for a while, though, since he got here. You got to verbal it. You got to verbal it. Um, he's talked about how the Canucks are a quiet group, and I always thought that meant just like in the room, you know, like they they're 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 quiet group, and maybe they need some guys. They're to shy like, everywhere, Jason. Yeah, they're shy. They're shy on the ice too. Yeah. They're like. Uh, head up. <laughs> Is that how the Canucks are on the It's ice? like a typical committee. Everyone's afraid to speak up. <laughs> Everyone ever been on a committee before? Usually there's one alpha, but if there's not, there's like five or six betas, and they always kind of sit around waiting for someone else to do I, something. I don't know if this is my place to say this, but there's a man on you. See? And he's he's forechecking. He's, he's oh, Oh, he he just hit you. And Sorry, he, he I should have. Like I should have verbaled it. You should have verbaled it. You yeah, can't yeah. just act like that. You're too meek. Hey, sushi. There you go. Man on. See, you got to yell. That's what talking understands. The other thing that he mentioned yesterday, this might be more concerning than the lack of talk, is that um, they don't hit the net. Like he just said it, like very clear as day. He's like, yeah, when we have, you know, either empty nets or chances on net, we don't. We don't put the puck in the right place, the vicinity of the net. If there's a basketball coach, it was like, yeah, we're having trouble hitting the net. Yeah. This training camp. That would be a little That'd concerning. Be the Toronto Raptors last season, basically. It's like, <laughs> we're shooting the ball at the net, but it's not going <laughs> through the net. That's a problem. So th- this is Rick talking on bearing down and how they've had problems doing that this preseason. Well, just bearing down. Like, you know, we, we got to get some offense for some guys, you know, um, you know, there's some chances around the net, you know, body, get, get body position and put it in. I think sometimes we're taking things for granted. Oh, oh I got it. But, you know, you got to bear down. And even on those empty, there's a couple of times there's empty nets. You got to hit the net. We've had a tough time this camp hitting the net. Um, so um, that's something we'll work on. I thought we were better in the paint, though. Like we, we talked about it. Mikey O put a little uh, video together about getting people in the net. I thought we were a lot better at the net, going to the net tonight. So that, that's a that's a positive for us. Well, speaking of a lack of offense, let's talk about those Toronto Blue Jays now. Uh, the Jays 
lost yesterday. We all know the score. 2 nothing. They're out of the postseason. Uh, where do we even start with this team? Was it the decision to pull Jose Barrios and replace him with Kikuchi? Was it Vladdy getting picked off second base? Not as with, the lead runner, by with the way. With two Not outs, runner. runners on second and third. Yeah, it was like he doesn't even have the excuse. It was like, trying to steal third. I was like, oh, really? Someone was there. He was just standing around. He was trying to be as close to home as he could because if they hit a single, he wanted to score. We but hey, there's still a shortstop there behind you. We can't get bogged down on this because there are so many things that, like, where do we start? We're, we're having the where do we start debate. Like, <laughs> picked off with second with two outs, runners on second and third, and Bichette up to bat. Mm-hmm. Or perhaps we should start with the sense of resignation that everyone felt. If you're a Jays fan, I know you felt this. I know you felt this when you were talking when we were talking yesterday about the Jays, and we were like we were right into like the offseason talk. The sense of resignation that has emanated from this fan base for what most of the season, there never seemed to be a sense of belief in this team, despite the fact that it managed to finish 16 games over 500 and qualify for the postseason, because it just they just never got going. You know, it's funny. I was watching the Phillies game in the evening, and those Phillies fans are amazing. Like, they are so loud, Mm -hmm. so enthusiastic. You could sense with those Phillies fans that there was a real love affair with the players. And I think if you go deeper into the Phillies story, you know that there is a real love affair with the fans, and the players feel it, and the players appreciate it. I know the the Phillies went to the World Series last year, that, so that uh, so obviously that helps, and the, and the Jays did not in a big way. But the Phillies team this year barely made the playoffs. They only won 90 games compared to the 89 that the Blue Jays won. Um, but I do think it's may, maybe the Phillies example like isn't the greatest example in terms of like opposites, but I do think it's just worth talking about the disdain. Is that a good word? Like the disdain that Jays fans feel for this team and right now for this organization? Or a palpable sense of anger yesterday. Uh, Jeff Blair of the Blair and Barker show right here on the Sportsnet Radio Network came on to do the post-game show yesterday and was spitting mad, furious at this group of players. And Mm -hmm. he said, among other things, it was a weird way to phrase it, but it was a waste of resources. And I think by that he meant... One of the best pitching staffs this year, statistically, in the American League, if not all of Major League Baseball. A terrific defense, especially with Varsho and Kiermaier in the outfield. Maybe the best outfield duo in Major League Baseball. Well, there's an outfield of center fielders. Right. So he said to put forth what they did, which was a sort of above average regular season, and then a two-game no-show against the Twins. And granted, the games were both two-run games. They were tight. I'll say that. But that's because they have a really good pitching staff. But he said it was a waste of resources, and I think that's kind of what you're looking at right now, mm. is that this team is super talented and ticks a lot of boxes rosters, roster-wise. Pitching staff, yeah. Young, exciting talent to build around, yeah. You know, uh, does the, can you, you know, prevent runs from scoring on defense? Absolutely. But I'll say, for me, if you want to start anywhere, the one biggest takeaway from this was that they scored one run in 18 innings of baseball. Yeah. One run. 
But it's not like they, but it's not like they have no hitting talent. Well, that's the that's I'll push back on that. Is I think their lack of hitting was masked all year by the good pitching and defense. And then when they didn't address it, mm-hmm. the pivot was eh, don't worry about it. We're base we're built on pitching and defense. I guess I'm focusing too much on Bichette and Vladdy, right? Like there are yeah. other there 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 are it massive was, holes in the in 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 the lineup. You you cannot win any sport by getting one solitary point over two games. Yeah. It's really tough to do. But we got this text in. Who cares? They sucked all year. No sense trying to analyze the last game. It was more of the same. But they didn't suck all year. I think my point is, my pushback on that is... it's wrong? There was not even a hope of things changing in the playoffs. Like, the fan base did not seem to believe that. Because, you know, when you get into the playoffs and, like, anything can happen. A two-run Deficit is not the biggest thing to overcome, but I think the best example of what I'm talking about came in the sixth inning after, uh, like, so Vladdy got picked off in the fifth. Hmm. The Jays then loaded the baseman, loaded the base, and Matt Chapman ripped the ball down the line. Yep. Right? Like, and it was fouled by what? A foot. A foot? Maybe two feet? I knew what was going to happen next. Everyone knew what was going to happen next. The bases were loaded. There was one out. What was going to happen next? Matt Chapman was going to hit into a double play. Boy, did he ever. Right? And it was like, it was tailor-made. Mm-hmm. As soon as it was off the bat, it was like, oh, boy. That's that's a double play ball right mm-hmm. there. Uh, I'll say this. Now, we, we talk about what the Jays didn't do in this series. If you're going from the Minnesota perspective, by the way, kudos to the Twins. It was nice seeing them get over the hump. Right, That's their first playoff win in, what, 21 years? The playoff series win? So great for them. I'll give them full credit. They outplayed the Jays, 100%. In one area. Wasn't hard. Well, it was. Come on. It was. Those weren't blowout games. It's not like Texas beating the crap out of Tampa Bay. Like, those were tight baseball games. If the Jays showed anything, it's that they make small fundamental mistakes in those big moments, and they can't deliver hits in those big moments. Now, again, I say the flip side. The flip side would be if Minnesota Sports Talk Radio, the Minnesota equivalent of Halford and Bruff. I don't know what kind of hayseed program that would be, but they would basically be saying, hey, we play great defense. We played better defense than the Blue Jays. Yeah. The play that Sonny Gray and Carlos Correa made to pick off Vladdy was a really good play. It was smart. It was timely. If you hear him talk about it afterwards. Well, that's two elite plays from Correa in two games. Right. right? And, and that's in a short and series. that's kind of what you need. Conversely, and this is, I feel bad, but who were the two guys on the receiving end of those plays? Vladdy and Bo. Right? Your self-proclaimed leaders and young stars were the ones that got either caught trying to be too greedy, which is what Bo did in game one, or caught napping, mm-hmm. which is really what happened to Guerrero. Right, I know you're saying like he wanted to get as far off the bag as he could to try and score, but he was flat-footed, right? And Correa apparently went to Gray between innings and said, "Hey, it's super loud in here." Which, by the there's your home field advantage, which is Tampa Bay did not have that against the Rangers. <laughs> it's super loud in here. He can't hear the third base coach yelling, "Get back!" So we're gonna try and run a because you don't see a lot of pickoffs at second base with runners on especially, second and yeah, third especially with a in a playoff trail runner game, at right? second. So. I, my the biggest takeaway for me is that they didn't have the bats throughout the season. Atkins and Shapiro didn't address it at the deadline, and then as they went down the stretch, you saw it more and more because the game started getting tighter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dalton Varsho and you—I mean, he laid down a bunt yesterday with one out and two runners on. I'm like, 
that feels like a good situation to try and hit and drive in some runs. But you're trying to small ball it all of a sudden because you're so desperate to score. Well, that, I mean, that, and that was the reason probably that they'll give that they treated the pitching like they did, right? They, they knew <laughs> they were just doing everything they could to make sure it was a low-scoring game because they have no faith in their offense right yeah. and, like, and, then, and then you end up then you end up going into this game with this like okay we've got to really plan for this we can't score so we got to come up with this plan mm-hmm. and then the plan overtook common sense like like they did not get beat by an overwhelmingly talented baseball team like the twins are a good team but they're also an 87 win team that won the worst division baseball with two good pitchers and Correa's their star, and he missed mm-hmm. a chunk of the year because of his injury. Like, they're a good team. But, Mike, we need to talk about this decision to pull Barrios because I think that is, like, despite the fact that Vladdy got picked off and, you know, despite the fact that sure. the Twins weren't, it was you know, a, an amazing, it was, it like, was, like, like, that's where, you know, that's where if, if anyone still had faith in this organization, mm-hmm. you know, that's where it would have been rocked because Fair. you're like, what the hell are you guys doing? Brios is is dealing, and then you bring in Kikuchi, and it seemed like you'd never even considered leaving Brios in there. I was like, "This is the plan. We're sticking to the plan." Like Kikuchi was warming up when, like he started, he First started, name, yeah, yeah, like he was, he like, was ready to go like, for the fourth, basically. Like it was like it was like you know, and the and and every broadcast crew was discussing it. They're they're like, are they really gonna are they gonna pull Brios? It feels like. They're gonna pull. They're Did it not feel like Kikuchi was right? a little flustered when he came in too? Like well, he, he probably didn't want to take over. Yeah, yeah I was right? like, "Why am I in here? Yeah, with and runners then, on." What? And then, and then, and yeah, and then he's in a tough situation himself right away. Like runners on, so he's got to, um, he like the pressure's on him, and and he actually like ended up overall pitching fine, right? Yeah, like he gave he up two pitched, runs. He pitched fine. <laughs> well, one of them was one, and one of them was uh, tagged to Brios. Yeah, right. But to put him in that position, first of all, it was a tough position for him but then it was also like Brios was comfortable mm-hmm. and My- you and you bring him out so listen we're gonna we're gonna talk about this more throughout the show and we'll talk about it with Adnan Verk because I you know we had Dan Shulman on uh the other day and I love Dan but my eyes kind of, you know, like my eyebrows raised a little bit when I said, like, what's at what's at stake for the Blue Jays here? Like, what kind of off season could it be? Is like, oh, I think it'll be a standard off season. I'm like, okay, well, let's see how the playoffs go because sometimes that determines it, right? Like, mm-hmm. you can go into uh, a play a postseason and be like, yeah, it's probably going to be a standard off season. Like, they got some free agents, they gotta they gotta they gotta replace those guys, and they gotta figure out a few other things here. But you know, well, every team goes hold on, in. Hold on, hold on. But, the only reason that you you might be misinterpreting, he was talking about what he expects this management group to do, not what a a different management group might want to do. Like, if anything. If there's been a problem with Atkins and Shapiro, it's that they're maybe a little too pragmatic, maybe a little too Jerry Depoto for people's taste. Well, I just right? wonder if someone in <laughs> this company, mm-hmm. higher positions than us, is going to watch what happened there and be like, that can't keep happening. Like, I don't know what the Jays do next, but they've got some major questions to answer. Is John Schneider the right manager for them? Is Alec Manoa salvageable? Uh, is 2021 Vladdy ever coming back? Um how will they replace all those guys that are expected to leave in free agency? But like, I guess the big one, the one you're talking about is should Shapiro and Atkins be the ones to answer those questions? Yeah. And they're all viable and legitimate questions as far as I'm concerned. 
everything should be on the table because it's now, what, seven consecutive playoff losses and not a single playoff win in the Vladdy and Bo era. And those are hard things to get around. Those are just the cold, hard facts of this team and this group. Um, I, I hate your cold, hard facts. I hate them. Yeah, but are they right? Am I right? They're completely accurate. Thank you. Okay, uh, one more thing before we go to break because this is your – Vancouver Sports Talk Radio Station. Kudos to the Vancouver Whitecaps, who last night clinched a playoff spot in rather resounding fashion, a 3-0 victory over the West-leading St. Louis SC. St. Louis didn't look very good. How are they? St. Louis looked awful. Yeah, like I kept a- saying it because I was there last night, and, and I was watching this, and I'm like, are they resting guys? And granted, they they had their backup keeper in that, so that was it. But the rest sure. of the lineup was pretty. But he played well. Like he, he was okay. He was good. Yeah, he was good. He was fine. Um, they looked terrible. They looked like they had no interest in any part of that trip. That is a very much midweek trip that takes too long to get to. Right? And do they have first clinched? Pretty yeah, much. Yeah, like they didn't need that match. The Whitecaps did. So the Whitecaps clinch a playoff berth. They currently sit in fifth. There's a lot left to be done. They've got games at Seattle and then at home against LAFC. So they could finish, I believe, as high as third, as low as seventh. It's very tight in the standings. But the bottom line is that after a disappointing year last year, this team bounced back. Kudos to Vanny Sartini and the crew. They are back and on their way to the playoffs. Two regular season matches left at BC Place before the playoffs get underway. And we'll see how many home dates there will be at BC Place moving forward. Uh, Moving forward on this show. We're going to dive back into the Canucks talk coming up on the other side of the break. Dan Riccio, host of Canucks Central, along with Satyar Shah, and he was on the call last night with Batch for the Canucks game in Abbotsford. And did a great job. He's a very good uh, color guy. He's done it before. I've heard him fill in on the station before with Batch. So Dan Riccio is going to join us next to talk Canucks here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. The most comprehensive Canucks coverage in the city. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For Flurry with a shot big rebound, Tolvin and scores! Casey DeSmith made the initial save, but Ellie Tolvanen was wide open to the left circle. Hammers his third of the preseason against the Canucks into the back of the net. And Seattle leads again. It's 2-1 to one with 7.31 left in the third. This line has just been consistently dangerous all night long against the Vancouver Canucks. 6.33 on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 6.50. Alfred and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Accurate Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Accurate Dealer today. We are in Hour 1 of the program. Dan Riccio is going to join us in just a moment here. The highlight of Hour 1. Hour 1 is brought to you by EverythingFinancial.com. Financial freedom awaits. Book your introductory meeting today. Visit them on the internet at EverythingFinancial.com. You hear them in the afternoons on Canucks Central. You heard them last night on the call with Batch. Dan Richo joins us now on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. What up, Dan? How are you? Top of the morning, gentlemen. How's it going? Good. Thanks for doing this. I know this is early, and I know you were working late last night, so we do appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. Uh, it's no worries. I'm uh, getting a golf round in, you know, trying to enjoy these last bits of summer while we have it. Nice. We're going to have some great weather. So uh, what's what was the big story for you yesterday? Did you expect that lineup for the Vancouver Canucks, or did you expect uh, more of a full lineup? Well, I, it, it was hard to really um, guess what exactly the lineup would be when 
they made all of the roster moves before right, <laughs> this right. game. Um, but at the same time, Rick Tockett kept saying, you know, games four and six are, are the ones we're really planning to be our sort of dress rehearsals for the season. So it was a little bit curious, but once they made the moves, I guess it, it started to make a little bit more sense. And some of the names that weren't playing kind of stood out to me. I mean, it's a lot of the star players, maybe some of the guys that have worked hard and have earned some praise from Tockett early on in this preseason. And uh, the Noah Juleson one was kind of curious as well. But mm-hmm. I think last night was for a lot of the bubble guys, their last chance to really show Tockett what they had. And that became the storyline for the game. Guys like Dakota Joshua, Nils Hoaglander, Nils Oman. How are you battling out for the last spots on the opening night roster? And of course, a chance to see Cole McWard away from Quinn Hughes to see if, Hey, maybe this is your chance to really cement your place as the sixth defenseman on this team. So what did you see then in terms of the bubble guys and Cole McWard? I would say McWard for me was the most um, promising of the bunch. It wasn't a very high event game as we, (laughs) as we all know. And uh, McWard, you know, he just seemed confident all night. He didn't make, I mean, there was a few bad decisions in there, but he played with some confidence, whipping around the puck a little bit, even in the offensive zone when the Canucks did have some sustained offensive zone time. I thought he was really good on, on his retrievals and, evading the first four checker and then being able to make that first play out of the zone. So for McWard, for me, it was a stock up type of situation where we have some serious questions about this guy and and whether or not he's going to be able to stick with the Canucks, at least to start this season. And, you know, I'm still curious if they do make a waiver claim or some kind of move Mm -hmm. before opening night next week. But you uh, in the best of a bad bunch of right-shot defense options beyond Tyler Myers and Phil Kronick, uh, I think McWard is easily shown to be the most promising one and the one that you're most confident in for this moment. The forwards, I would say, were the more underwhelming part. I mean, Nils Hoaglander, he, he still had... Uh, it's kind of been the same all preseason, where he had a couple of flashes, some, some good moments, maybe could have scored uh, a goal from in tight on a rebound or a tip-in, but was never really able to get it. Still had some trouble uh, at his own blue line, getting the puck out and making that play to, to, to have the Canucks get a clean zone entry. But he was still better than Dakota Joshua. And that's really been the story of the entire preseason is Dakota Joshua has looked like the 13th forward on this team when they expected him to be not a key contributor, but somebody that helps, you know, score some goals in the bottom six and, play a, a, bit, a bit of that size and, and heavy role that Rick Tockett covets so much. How was Jack Stadnika? Because I've actually wanted to pass along some, um, you know, Halford and I last season with Stadnika, we were like, what did anyone ever see in this guy? Like, he doesn't do anything. And then he came into this season and he had a good camp and he was actually noticeable in some of the preseason games. He was actually adding energy as opposed to what he was doing last year, which would seem to be like sucking energy out of the game. But um, what did you see from Stanika yesterday? Stanika uh, was more of what we saw last year. I would say it was his uh, most underwhelming performance of the preseason. Um, you know, he, he did have like the penalty kill was really good. And, you know, I think the Canucks in recent years, you know, they would have guys in the bottom six that, 
you didn't really trust on the penalty kill and you were just so forced to have Pedersen and Miller and some of those guys go out there and and be penalty killers because it was the only thing you were confident in as the as the head coach but Studnika at least last night and through the preseason has shown he can play a role on the PK and I think that's something that continued last night. It was where he was most noticeable, where his speed to uh, disrupt plays or be able to carry the puck through the neutral zone and get it down low and, and at least kill 20 seconds of time off of, off of a penalty. That was the most noticeable part of Jack Stadnika's night. But, you know, it wasn't a night where the Canucks generated a ton of offense and Jack Stadnika was a part of that. Are you worried about the Canucks' ability to score five on five? A little bit, yeah. It's, um, I mean, we only had the one preseason game where JT Miller and, and Elias Patterson were playing where we really had the full complement of the roster. But, uh, you know, the, like the team is going to need secondary scoring. And you lost all those goals from Bo Horvat last year, and I'm kind of really wondering where they're all going to mm-hmm. come from, how they're going to supplement it. Like, you don't, ha- you don't need to be... Uh, you know, crazy analytics major to, to figure out that the Canucks were, uh, even though they were better offensively than they were defensively last year by a long shot, they still weren't an elite offensive team. I think they were just outside the top 10 in goals four. So you're going to have to somehow maintain that while also bringing a ton of defensive gains if you're going to be a playoff team this year. And I just wonder how much of their offense from last year they're going to be able to maintain right we have the questions about kuzmenko and how sustainable is his shooting percentage it isn't so how is he going to overcome that brock besser are we going to see a better version of him all those questions still persist but how much are you actually getting out of your bottom six are you going to get some chemistry between pew Suter and connor garland that generates some level of five on five offense they've shown some chemistry but until you see it in the regular season I'm not so sure. It still feels like a team that's going to very much rely on the power play to be a big producer of offense for them. And at five on five, they're, they're going to try and be a lot more even than they have been in recent years. And it's great. And I know it's a, it's, it would be a step in the right direction even to just do that. But um, it's still a concern for me of how much this team is actually going to be able to score at five on five. Okay, Reach, put yourself uh, put yourself in the shoes of Rick Tockett and the rest of his coaching staff. You got one preseason game left uh, Friday at Rogers Arena against the Calgary Flames. What are you th- spending a lot of time thinking about? What are you worrying about? What are the big decisions that you have ahead of the home opener, the season opener next Wednesday against the Oilers? I think the the big decision that this team really has is. Yeah, it's the final roster spots, but what is happening with the defense is still the question that persists for me. And I know this whole D by committee thing is, has become Tockett's way to solve some of the, let's be honest, talent issues that they have on the back end. But even last night, you know, you could see the uh, miscommunications from a new pair in Carson Soucy and Philip Ronick and how is that going to translate into the season if they keep working together? Uh, the, how they work that defense 
still for me, whether it's Cole McWard, Noah Juleson, Christian Willan, and I don't, it doesn't matter who yeah, the sixth defenseman is. Um, it, it, it's really about can this deployment actually work with the way that they're trying to make it work, this D by committee situation. And just, it feels like a lot of it is going to rest on Quinn Hughes playing hero ball and Philip Ronick finding a partner that you are comfortable with. And that way you can eat up maybe 50 minutes of the game, at least with Quinn Hughes and somebody next to him and Philip Ronick on the ice. That's, I mean, that, that, that to me is still the biggest question. Is this, is this plan of D by committee actually going to work? Do you have a good handle on Philip Peronic's game yet, or do you still need a few games to see what he does well, what maybe he struggles with? I think the, uh, like I, I, he's such an easy player to watch, a fun player to watch. Um, I just kind of oozes class to me mm-hmm. to, to borrow a soccer term, but <laughs> it was just, he's got a great first touch. Yes. Um, it was, you know, there was a, a shift in the third period, and he's out there with some of the Abbotsford, uh, you know, top-line guys, I guess you would say, Arsteep Baines and, and Max Sasson and, and Linus Carlson, guys that are going to be big parts of the Abbotsford club. And he's whipping it around in the offensive zone. He's almost like coordinating traffic on a five-on-five shift, and they got some real sustained offensive zone time. Probably should have scored a goal on a rebound or two, but... He was just directing everything, almost like he was the power play quarterback for a shift that wasn't actually the power play. They had a few east-west passes, and it just didn't generate uh, the goal that they were looking for. But it was the kind of moment where you're like, wow, okay, Philip Ronick, uh, I see it, you know. And, and that's that's something we haven't been able to get to see a ton of just yet. You know, he, he had the four games last year, and you know, he was somewhat hurt. So you didn't know how much to really take away from it, but there's just been moments in this preseason where you see such a higher level of play than what we've normally seen for defensemen on this team outside of, of Quinn Hughes. So his offensive instincts are clearly there defensively. He can be hard on the puck. We've seen that in the preseason so far, there's really a, a lot to like. I just, my, my biggest concern would be with him, especially playing next to Carson Soucy, do you have somebody alongside him that is adept at breaking out the puck? And I wouldn't say that's Carson Soucy's greatest attribute as a defenseman. So it's, it's one of the things I'm kind of wondering about as they try to find the right partner for Philip Ronick. Yeah, do you think Soucy's a top-four guy? Defensively, there's, there's a lot to like. You know, his reads in his own end are, are pretty strong. And in the third period last night, and you can see it throughout the preseason if, if you've been watching Susie closely, he's really strong at closing gaps on his defensive blue line and um, holding the Canucks blue line so that there isn't a clean zone entry for the offensive team to get in and start weighing in on the Canucks, leaning on the Canucks, and do those things that we've seen them do so much in the last couple of years. But there are moments when he's just really uncomfortable with the puck. And I would say those are the things that have really stood out to me the most because they've led to some like kind of cringe moments where you're pulling at your collar being like, oh, I don't know if this is going to work. And that would be my concern. It's, it's hard to say if he's a top four guy. He's never really played those minutes in the National Hockey League. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's where this D by committee thing comes up again because – 
he's not a player you can automatically just plug in for 20-plus minutes a night. He's never played more than 17 minutes on average in any season he's been in the National Hockey League. So that would be a pretty big expectation. But if you put him in the right spots, I think you can get a lot out of him as a defenseman. It's just the deployment that I'm still curious about and how we're going to see it play out through the season. So, Reach, overall, this is me speaking now, I don't think this has been a very encouraging preseason. But I will say that the penalty kill looks better. Is that yeah. like is that free like for me that's that's like that honestly and it's a it's a big deal like they they made yeah. a lot of moves to fix the PK the PK actually does look uh, capable now agree or disagree? Yeah, the PK has been the most promising part of the preseason and how that translates. I mean, hey, look, they could <laughs> they could give up four goals in the first two games to wow. Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl on the on the penalty kill. It's like, well, I don't know what you're supposed to do. Even if you're better, like these guys are still going to score their goals on the power play. But there's been a lot, and it's come from a lot of different guys. You know, it hasn't been Pedersen and Miller killing penalties or anything like that. Last night, Pew Suter was really good on on the penalty on, on the penalty kill, playing as uh, a top PK guy. You know, winning the faceoff draw and, and doing those things that you would see out of a, a top penalty killer. So they've got more options. They clearly are a little bit more comfortable in the setup of their penalty kill and how they're trying to stop the opposition. So that is promising. And uh, it's still preseason. So I, the, look, the, the, the concerns about scoring and, and some of the new players and how they, they're all going to fit still very much persist. But in a stark contrast to 12 months ago, like – the game in Abbotsford 12 months ago against Edmonton, it was just like pond hockey. You know, it was just uh, everybody was scoring. It was crazy high event. Nobody was really paying attention to defense. And it was just like, okay, I guess this is how the Canucks are going to play all year. And turns out that's kind of what happened early on in the season. But in every preseason game they've played, they look much I hate the overuse of the term, but I mean, it's just everything that this management group has talked about. Say, so it, much. say the structure word. The structure has been there for this team. You know, they, they look like a much more competent hockey team. They look like they have a plan on the ice of how they're connecting play, how they're getting out of their own end, how they're breaking into the opposition's end. It's just, you know, those types of things, like, like we, even when the offense isn't there and, and things like that, they have something that they fall back on. And uh, the, the, when we talked to Ian Cole at, um, in Victoria uh, for Canuck Central, he basically said to us, there, if you're going to come out of being this losing team, there has to be a stick to to your game where even when things aren't going great, you mm-hmm. stick to, to the plan. And that's something I think that, uh, you know, throw the 10 nothing game out uh, from the first preseason game of the year. That's something I have seen from this team where they stick to their game plan. They wait for their uh, moments to open up and try to keep games as close as they can. And, you know, for a team that's built like this, it's probably the best way to go. Yeah, you don't have a cup contending roster top to bottom, but we know there's some real top top end players on this team. So if you do keep games close, wait for your opportunities to open up, you'd bet on a lot of nights that Elias Pettersson or Quinn Hughes is going to be able to make a difference for you. And I think that's something that they are setting up well for during the season, even as they continue to try to build this thing out to be more of a competitor 
over the next couple of years. Reach, thanks for doing this today, bud. We really appreciate it. Enjoy the golf. Yeah, cheers, fellas. Thanks. See you, buddy. Uh, Dan Riccio, Canucks Central and Canucks color commentator on last night's call with Batch. 2-1 loss for the Canucks uh, in Abbotsford to the Seattle Kraken. So, Jay, North Delta texts in, to me, this preseason is just a reflection of the lack of organizational depth. I still think the NHL roster can compete for a playoff spot. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I think accurate. so, too. And I, and I think I think Reach's analysis was, was pretty spot on there. Um, I think they do have more of a game plan this year, and they have they have a plan, right? And Reach is right in that they need some stick to to their game because mm-hmm. they didn't really know what to do last year. They were like, okay, we're in this position. We're not actually sure how we got in this position, but I guess we got to score some goals, right? Well, it's it's interesting because what Talkit talked about talk talk what talk it talked about last night with the Canucks lack of talk I think speaks to this it's like not only is there a structure in place guys but we have a plan and we know what we want to do but sometimes we're going to need you know little constant reminders and that's on the players to verbalize that or verbal it Mm -hmm. to one another and I think what it's going to be in the early stages of this is hey we don't have this committed to memory yet. It's not reflexive. Like, we're not doing this on instinct. Yeah. So you're going to have to point out where guys need to be. The key is that everyone knows where they need to be. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they just need to be told, but there's no guessing, right? <laughs> As opposed to last season, it was like, should I be here? Does anyone care? Yeah, and like one guy's like, I guess. <laughs> but you could be over there. <laughs> it you doesn't could also really be over there. It doesn't matter. Like, this is, so I, 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 you know, it's a good assessment. And then we talked a lot about this, is the, the plan very clearly is... Play low event hockey, keep games close, and then hope that either individual moments of brilliance, your offensive pedigree, or power play opportunities mm-hmm. see you through in the end. And I wonder if they're looking at it like let's get a bunch of let's get a bunch of games to overtime. Yeah, I, it, could, it very get, well could be right. We'll get into the playoffs on the backs of the loser point. I hate making comparisons with everything that we do here, but let I me mean, look at the Blue Jays. In the end of the day, they had a crucial flaw on that team; they couldn't score runs. They didn't have the bats. We were paying attention to games in September, and we're like, why is Schneider batting cleanup all of a sudden? He, I think was, in, he was in Buffalo. I think I'm finished ago. looking at the Blue Jays. But what did they do? They made the playoffs, right? When they got there, it wasn't pretty, mm-hmm. but they got there. But they got there. And that's a key thing, mm-hmm. is that they got there. But the difference also is, is like, if the Jays got hot and went to the World Series, we'd be like, okay. That makes sense. Ah, the talent baseball, came to play. Because that's yes. baseball. No, no, but I think there's more. I think he's saying like there's more talent there. Mm-hmm. On there's, the there's, Jays. there's more yeah. talent on the Jays than the Canucks roster comparatively yeah. to their competition. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, I look at baseball now, and everyone's saying like there's you know, although they only had 87 wins, they only had 89 wins. There's only what 400 win teams, mm-hmm. right? Like gone are the days where a team blitzes through has 117 wins and a 712 winning percentage. Like there's a lot of teams that understand in baseball now get in. And see what happens. I mean, God, that Braves team that won the World Series when Anthopolis made all those trades at the deadline, they were a 500 baseball team when he was making the trades. And then he just rebuilt the outfield, right? And then away they went. They won at a pace that we've never really seen before. But Mm -hmm. as we circle back to the Canucks, the difficult thing is going to be that, unlike baseball, where there's like maybe one or two teams built at that elite level, like I'd say Atlanta. And I mean, everyone's saying that the World Series goes through Atlanta, and I kind of agree. Well, the Dodgers are still the Dodgers are there too, but one or two like there's a there's a more than one or two teams right now. God, not even in the NHL in your own division 
that are built to win right now. I mean, you've got, again, I can't believe I harp on this like every week because mm-hmm. I feel like a broken record, but you are in a division with the defending Stanley Cup champion, the best player in hockey, and then an LA Kings team that kind of tried to put itself over the top in the offseason. Mm-hmm. And they're the third dog in that fight. It's a tough division. Uh, we're going to talk to Adnan coming up, and sorry, there's going to be some more baseball talk. But Don't apologize. We will have uh, at 7.30 an open segment, and I want to know the listeners' thoughts. Just, I just want to know how you're feeling about this team right now. This is like an open-ended assignment to the Halford and Bruff listeners. How are you <laughs> feeling about the Canucks right now? Are you worried? Are you encouraged? Are you discouraged? Gassy. There are some are things. You, are you gassy? There are some things that you can be encouraged by. Uh, for me, it's like the PK looks capable. We'll see how it translates into the regular season, but I've been worried about the PK for a couple of years now, and it looks like they've got some guys now that actually know what they're doing on the PK. Um, I'm still to be determined on Philip Hironic because I just, like, I haven't watched him enough. I need to personally watch him um, before I can, you know, say whether it was a good trade or it was a worthwhile trade, but, you know, from what Riccio said, you know, that could be encouraging for a lot of people, the fact that they've got Philip Hronick. But on the discouraging side, I think you'd look at a lot of players that you maybe hoped would step up this season that haven't. Pod Colson didn't. And Hoaglander, for as much as he, you know, occasionally brings flashes of energy, I think you still have a question about whether he belongs in the NHL lineup. Uh, so text into the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650 650. We'll read your thoughts uh, in about, I don't know, half an hour. But we're going to talk a little more baseball with Adnan Vert coming up next on the Halford & Brock Show on Sportsnet 650.